chapter 2, verse 18. And we have God repeatedly saying that everything he did was good. As a matter of fact, as he got to the end of the creation account, he said everything that he had made was very good. Chapter 2, verse 18 says, it is not good. So right here, after God creating everything in its perfection, because God is perfect, you know, God is not all of a sudden realizing, well, I messed up because I made male and female of all the animals, but forgot to make male and female of those that are created in our image. Okay, this is not God backpedaling. This is not God redoing because he did something bad. What he is establishing here is marriage itself. Because Adam, you know, named the animals, and he saw that each one had its counterpart. There was a male and female, but there was no one like him. No one that was the opposite of him as the female. And so this is why God says, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Because Adam needed companionship on a horizontal level. He was walking with God in the garden. He was holy and perfect because God created him that way. He created it, him in his image. Yet there's an aspect which God, in his wisdom, created on a horizontal level something that would be a completer of Adam. That, as the text says, would be a helper fit for him because he needed companionship. He needed comfort. He needed interaction with someone like him. Because he was flesh and bone. I like how Matthew Henry looks at this text in relation to how God, you know, created Eve. He says, Eve was not taken out of Adam's head to top him, neither out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be loved by him. See, this is a beautiful picture of exactly what God was accomplishing here in bringing this helper fit for Adam into his world. Because Adam needed someone to complete him. To be his helper, to be his comfort, to be his uh, companion in life. And you'll notice it's a rib out of the side. So they're going to walk side by side, hand in hand, as one. Because Eve was taken out of Adam to be his helper fit for him. That's why if you look down at verse 24 uh, of Genesis 2, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Okay, so at this point, it's just Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve aren't leaving their father and mother. So the principle that we see here, what is, is commanded and what Jesus even refers back to is the marriage itself where a man leaves his father and mother. So there was a point in, you know, October of 1992, matter of fact, October the 17th was the day I officially left my father and mother's house and said vows before Almighty God and had Michelle become my wife.
I left my father and mother and I held fast to Michelle as my wife. And I'm happy to say I haven't made it to 60 plus yet, but 31 is where we are. And I praise the Lord for every one of those years through the ups and downs of life. But see, this one flesh that we read, automatically what comes to mind is everything in a sexual manner. Because a husband and wife come together, and the culmination of that is when they come together in the marriage bed as husband and wife. But in Hebrew, this is a larger picture. It encompasses much more than just the physical. Matter of fact, as we take a look at it, it is emotional, it is intellectual, it is financial, and it's spiritual in nature. In other words, it is the whole human experience where the man leaves his father and mother and he cleaves to his wife and the two become one flesh. They are partnered with the same purpose and desire to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Because again, this is pre-fall. This is before Adam and Eve disobeyed God. So they were brought into a marriage relationship and as the scripture says, they were naked and unashamed because they were, it was a pure relationship where sin did not taint or alter or harm that union of the two becoming one. It was a covenant relationship before God because God is the one who brought the two of them together. So marriage belongs to God. And if marriage belongs to God, then we need to know what God says about marriage, not what man says about marriage. Because married man does not know everything. And what man is going to do is he's going to fulfill the desires of his sinful flesh instead of obeying God and doing it God's way. That's why the best marriage is between two believers. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? There is no fellowship. There is no coming together. That's why I will never marry a believer to an unbeliever. Because they have nothing in common on a spiritual uh, in the spiritual realm, and therefore, even, you know, can unbelievers be married for 60 years plus? Yes, they can. Did it take work for them as well? Yes. Do they love each other with an unconditional love like God loved us through his son, Jesus Christ? No. Because the only reason we know to love is because God, what? First loved us. So there's something beautiful that happens between two believers. That's why you should never seek to date, for those that are single here, someone who is not a believer. Because there's no association there. And could you stay married for 60 plus years? Yeah, you could. But the thing is, is that God calls it for us to be in a relationship that mirrors what Adam and Eve had in the very beginning. Yes, we are still tainted by sin, but we've been given the mind of Christ as believers. We have been given the victory over uh, sin and death because of Jesus Christ. We see the world and we see life through a different lens. And even as redeemed believers, marriage is hard work. Because there's going to be days where 
Sure shooting, you're going to push your spouse's buttons to the point where you are going to anger them. I've done that. I've been there. But the love that we share because we first love God, we first are under God, is what, as we draw closer to God, draws us closer together, even when there is animosity or hardship or when we're butting heads because, you know, we're disagreeing about something that, you know, we're talking about. And even though we're probably talking about the same thing in my experience, I'm just saying it one way and Michelle's saying it another way and it takes us, you know, however long to come to that agreeance. Those days happen. But see, the thing is, is because marriage belongs to God, there's design in it. And one of the designs as two believers come together is that of godly offspring. Malachi 2.15. Did he, speaking of God, not make them one? With a portion of the spirit in their union. And what was the one God seeking? What was God seeking in this coming together in this marriage bond? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. And I would also take and broaden out that to say, you know, not only husband be faithful to your wife, but wife be faithful to your husband. Because what God desires and what God is perpetuating in the marriage uh, relationship is Godly offspring, a stable environment where the next generation can know who God is and love him with all their heart, their mind, their soul, and their strength. You know, this dovetails right beautifully into the grandparenting seminar and what we we talked about the last two days or, or what we heard for the last two days in relation to, you know, making sure that we're there for the next generation, that we don't check out and live as if we don't have family or say that I've put in my time, I've paid my dues, and those, you know, grands are my children's children and they should raise them because I raised my children. No, because God desires godly offspring. And so grandparents, great-grandparents, as well as parents, have a responsibility to be a family and to be knit together to live out and show the next generation who God is. And that is beautifully pictured in this helper fit for Adam coming together where the two become one. And in that two becoming one, one doesn't become less than the other. The other one doesn't superimpose itself on the other. When we submit biblically to God first, those two beautifully are united as one common in purpose, common in desire, and that is to love God and to enjoy him forever. Do we still sin? Yes, we do. Because again, submission is, a, 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 it is obedience. Do we disobey God? Yes. Do we obey God? Yes. No marriage is perfect because of sin, but the God who brings us together as one is. And so therefore he can help us get over and beyond and help us function within this design that he has for marriage because it is his institution. 
He stipulates what it constitutes, and he is the one who shows us how to best live in light of that purpose. It also protects against sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 7, 2 says, But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. See, marriage provides a, a healthy place for sexuality to be experienced between a man and a woman, which again is God's design. Not man with man, not woman with woman, not man or woman with animal. That's why God made someone fit for Adam. The purpose being that God would be glorified and that he would give that gift of sex to a husband and wife, something that is beautiful, something that uh, is to be enjoyed within the marriage bond itself. Because if you do it outside of that, which our culture does, thinking they have the freedom to do so because they think that marriage is just an old institution that is established by you know, uh, people desiring to have power over others or just to have a piece of paper that says, I um, am married to this individual. See, when we do it outside of God's design, there's hurt, there's damage by having sex outside of marriage. So when we don't do it God's way, there is a penalty that comes with that. The scripture says in, in Proverbs 18.22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains a favor from the Lord. I am thankful for the wife that God gave to me. She loves God and loves me and loves our children. I have experienced the favor of God. Does that mean that I'm always perfect in every aspect of my husbandly duties and the commands that God has given to me as a husband to my wife? I wish I could say I perfectly fulfilled that, but I haven't. But see, the thing is, is that God, because of the spirit that indwells believers, can do things and heal things and mature things in such a way that as we submit to God first, we're able to do what we need to within the marriage. Which brings us to our text today. Um, and I've, I've listed this as the, God's keys to a lasting marriage, and today in particular it's going to be to the wife. But like I said, next week it's going to be to the husband and the husband and the wife together. And we need to see this as a unit. We can't, we can't divorce the wife from the husband or the husband from the wife, okay? Because this teaching is, is twofolded for the purpose of unity within the marriage between the husband and wife. So let's pick up our text there in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. The first phrase there is the command that God gives to wives. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands. There's that word submit. Word we don't like to hear. Because we have difficulty even in times as we sung today, we sing to, to surrender ourselves to God. Because we have difficulty surrendering ourselves to God. Being obedient to God is hard work. 
When we quench the spirit, when we grieve the spirit, then we're going to be operating in the flesh, and therefore we're not submitting or being obedient to God. And as we take a look at the marriage as well, and we see this, yes, submitting is hard. But this is nonetheless the command of God, and it's within the context of verse 21 and everything we've seen in relation to being spirit-filled, of walking in love, walking in wisdom, walking as one who is spirit-filled, because it's then and only then that we can fulfill what God commands the wife to do as well as the husband to do within the marriage so that it is a lasting marriage. See, that context of verse 21 says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ because we realize is that we are not just an individual unit in the body of Christ. We are part of the unit. We're part of the body. We are the bride of Christ. We're part of something bigger than just ourselves. And so, therefore, we submit to God, which gives us the ability to submit to what we'll see as uh, roles and authority structures throughout nature itself. Because our God is a God of order, there is authority and there are roles that we'll see even within the Godhead itself. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ because of what Christ has done. And we'll see that also in this text is that he submitted himself. And therefore, that is the role model. There's nothing better. There's nothing more perfect. There's no, no other thing you can look at that is going to give you a, a better option than to look at Jesus Christ himself. Because he gives the example. See, submission to authority is a natural part of keeping order within God's creation. If you, turn to, you don't turn there, but in James chapter 4, verse 7, we see that submission to authority of believers to God. Um, we see in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, a passage we looked at last week, where there is submission of believers to the church leadership. We see in 1 Peter 2, as well as Romans 13, the importance of citizens, you know, coming in under the authority and the um, uh, submission of governing authorities, because God is the one who places them there. In our text, we can see that there is a submission uh, to authority of the, of the church to Christ, servants to masters, children to parents, as well as wives to husbands. So wives, listen to me very closely. Because the immediate reaction is, is that, you know, how can I submit? Because I'm opening myself up to hurt, harm. You know, as we look at marriages in general, they end in divorce pretty high. Are there men out there that take advantage of the command to submit, to take advantage of their wives. Yes, there are. They're doing that in sin and in selfishness. We all do things in sin and in selfishness. That does not change the command of God because God knows what the key to a lasting marriage is because marriage is God's design. It belongs to him and he is the one who tells us how it functions. 
We are to be spirit-filled. So wives, as you read this and see it says, wives, submit to your own husbands. Know this. This is not an erasure of your identity or your worth. That's what the world would have you believe. Because they, they go at it from a, you know, everything here is for me, myself, and I. Because it's self-centered. It's not God-centered. So it's not an erasure of your identity because one, Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So wives, every lady in this room, you are created in the image of God and therefore that's where your identity is. That's where your worth comes from. Romans 3, 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Is that just men that have fallen short of the glory of God? Well, hopefully if you're here as a wife, you don't think that that's only the case. We all fall short. Verse 24 goes on to say, And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So it doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you're a husband or a wife. You are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Because there's now neither male nor female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free. We are all one in Christ Jesus. That's where your worth comes from. Peter stated it this way as he's talking to husbands. He says, your wives are heirs with you of the grace of life. So your identity, your worth is not compromised when you obey God's command to submit to your husbands. See, biblical submission rests in God's watch care and responds in godly character. So when we submit to God first... And do it God's way. He gives us the ability to submit in other ways. And there's blessing when we do that. And what happens is, as the, the wife submits to her husband and as, is spirit-filled, spirit-led, submitting to God first and then to her husband because she's commanded to do so, the fruit of the Spirit will flow out from her with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. And know this, it is not a call for women to be subject to every man. Notice what it says in the text. Wives, submit to your own husbands. I'm a husband. That doesn't mean that all the wives here submit to me. You submit to your own husbands. That's the command. What's the approach? Take a look at verse 22. I purposely left off the last phrase. But this is what guides, directs, infiltrates the whole command. Wives, submit to your own husbands. How? As to the Lord. So in other words, you're submitting to your husband because you're submitting to God himself. You're trusting God himself, knowing that the man submits to God. And that God is going to hold your husband accountable for every thought, word, and deed that he does. 
That does not change the submission, that does not change the authority structure that God has established, which there is a, a, a authority structure there. Even within the Godhead, there is an authority structure. And we'll speak to that in just a moment. But every act of obedience should first be for God's honor and God's glory. That's how it has to be prefaced. That's how the channel through which you must submit to your husband is by first doing it to the glory of God by submitting to him first and foremost. The wife's submission is not in proportion to the husband's submission to God. The wife's submission is not contingent on the husband being right. The wife's submission is not determined by the husband being a good leader. All reasons not to submit, but the command isn't conditional. The only condition is, is you do it as to the Lord. See, a wife honors and pleases the Lord when she fulfills her role as wife and submits to her husband's God-given leadership within the marriage. And again, I told you, you can't divorce the wife from the husband because the husband is also commanded, which we'll take a look at next week and why I gave you permission to drag your husband here. You cannot divorce the two because God not only commands the wife, he commands the husband as well. And the way it works is when both parties that have been brought together by God, the two become one flesh, submit to God first. Wives, hear this. This is an upward call of God. This is an upward call of God. This is God telling you your role within the marriage. It's an upward call, not a downward trajectory. Now, does that mean your husband is going to do right by you and be obedient as he should? Well, that's outside of your control. But God will hold him accountable. The command, wives, submit to your own husbands, the approach as to the Lord... Verse 23 tells us the justification for this command. It says there, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So is there any question in anyone's mind as to who is the head of the church? Jesus Christ is the head of the church. I'm not the head of the church. Pastor Caden's not the head of the church. The deacon board's not the head of the church. The church body, the members of Ellington Baptist Church, are not the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. 1 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. So again, notice that authority structure. Man does not operate independent of God. No one does. No one is autonomous. But even in God's design for marriage, there is a, a role that needs to be fulfilled. There is an authority structure that God has established. And God is all wise and does not do something wrong or half-hearted. It says, but I want you to understand. So in other words, commit this to memory. You know, mull over it. Make sure that this is part of your thinking that the head of every man is Christ. So every man here, you need to understand, you answer to God. 
Every husband here this morning, you need to understand you answer to God how you treat your wife. The head of the wife is her husband. Again, repeating that same uh, role. And the head of Christ is God. Now this is important because again, the, the justification is, is just as Christ is the head of the church, the husband is the head of the wife. There is submission within the Godhead. Is Jesus Christ any less God when he submits to the Father? No. Jesus is still 100% God. He is perfect in all of his ways. Every attribute that we look at scripturally belongs to him because he is God. Second person of the Trinity. But even within the Godhead, the Son submitted to the Father in relation to our salvation. And that is the example by which we look. So if there can be submission within the Godhead, then there best better be submission of every believer before God as his children, but then also within the marriage, one step you know, down from that first one that's the most important is within the marriage that the wife submits to her husband knowing that the head of her husband is Christ. And the head gives direction to the rest of the body. So it's Christ that determines the direction of the church. To push it forward when it's, it's standing still and being stagnant. To pull it back when it's going places it shouldn't go. Because the church belongs to Jesus Christ. He purchased her with his own blood. And we have to remember that marriage is a covenant before God. God is the one who brings those two together. It's not just the sexual act that makes a marriage because marriage is God's design. Remember, first, godly offspring. Actually, I guess that would be second. First would be a helper fit for Adam to bring the two together. See, the head gives direction to the rest of the body and the body responds accordingly. And I'll use a sermon illust- or a, a movie illustration that I didn't put in my notes. I thought about it. I did the same thing in the first service. My big fat Greek wedding. The man may be the head, but the woman is the neck, and she turns the head whichever direction it needs to go. Amen. <laughs> well, bear with Pastor Bill, because you're not going to like me for a moment here. See, that's not true. As funny as it is, humorous as it is, if the head is absent from the body, the neck has, can do nothing. If Christ is not the savior of the church, then the church is nothing. Okay, so the thing is, is that the head is there as, you know, chop off the head. Now, you chop off a chicken's head, the body is running around like it's still alive, but it is dead. It is just fulfilling a a, a function where it's just the blood's still pumping. I'm sorry for any children that are in the audience, but it's a fact of life. And eggs are good. So is chicken. See, the thing is, without the head, the body has no direction. Without the head, there's no life. Within the, 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 the 
the realm of marriage. What brings life to the marriage is when the wife submits to the husband, and as we'll find out next time, when the husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church. And verse 33 will sum it up with two things, a command for the husband to love and for the wife to respect. When we do it God's way, there is blessing. The Holy Spirit can enable us to do things that are impossible in the flesh. That's why you need to be spirit-filled in your submission to God first and then also within the marriage. Because the example is Christ himself. Look at verse 23. His body and is himself, its, speaking of the church's, savior. See, Christ in submission to the Father within the Godhead that didn't lessen who he was no more than the wife when she submits to her husband lessens who she is. He was obedient to his Father even to the point of death. Philippians 2, 8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself. There's a submission. Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is the example by which God is commanding every wife in the marriage to submit to her husband. Even if he is a bad leader, even if he does not submit to the Lord, even if he's not right. Back in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, we, we saw this early on. And he put all things under his feet. Whose feet? Jesus' feet. And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. See, the example that is set to give every wife here the beautiful freedom to trust God and obey him is Jesus Christ himself. It does not belittle, it does not make you disappear, it does not make you any less part of that partnership because you've been taken out of the side. He, she is a helper fit for Adam, her, his companion, his friend. The closest person he will ever have on a horizontal level. Second only to God himself, which is vertical. So what's the conclusion? Look at verse 24. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So again, the conclusion, the church submits to Christ because Christ is the head. Therefore, the wife submits to the husband because he is the head. God ordained, God appointed. It's his design. This is how it is. And you'll notice probably those words stick it in your head, in everything. So Pastor Bill, does in everything mean everything without exception? Well, here in the Greek it is not. There are limits to everything. There are limits to which I will obey the government of the United States of America, even though I'm commanded to be under those that are authority over me. The first simple thing would be is when the government tells me to do something that is contrary to the word of God then I am freed from that submission to that. The same is true in the marriage. If the husband is leading the wife in committing sin, then she is freed from submitting to him because he is putting her in a place of compromise. He is putting her in a place of being under God's judgment because he is causing her to sin. Something that 
someone who loves his wife as Christ loves the church should never, ever do. Or if he commits adultery, he has broken that union because he's, he's you know, become one flesh with someone else. And we know that there are scriptures that speak to that. We've already looked at them in previous weeks. Or if he's abusive to the point of causing you harm or is mentally compromised. Those are exceptions to that everything. Because it's not everything without exception because there are limits to everything. And know this, wives, it's not your judgment to say that your husband is mentally compromised. You can laugh at that. Two things as I close. One, I'd like to talk to the ladies that are not married here. So I need your ears for just a few moments. Because nothing changes this command. Because it's God's design. It comes from the God who's perfect. And he knows our failings. He knows that we are weak. He knows our frame. But the command is still there. So, ladies, when you're picking a husband, don't pick him because he's the the most handsome. I can't even say the word. More handsome than anybody else. Don't pick him because he's got money. Don't pick him because your girlfriend says that he's your, 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 your yin to your yang or whatever you want to say. He's going to, she, he's going to complete you. Pick a husband that submits to God first and foremost and loves God and glorifies God in his life. Because when you do, it will make it that much easier for you to obey the command of God to submit to him as your husband. And wives that are here, know this. When you willingly obey, again, in our Sunday school class, we talked about this because our chapter was number 12 in the Fundamentals of the Faith, which was by coincidence, obedience, is that you can obey kicking and screaming because you're just obeying in word only, but not in heart. Willfully obey. Trust God. Do the right thing. And know that God knows. You may be submitting to a husband that is not submitted to God. God knows that. Do what God commands you to do. And husbands, as you're listening to this, know that you need to do what you're commanded to do as well. So don't think you're, you, you get a free pass with this. You don't. But when you willingly submit to God's command to be submitted to your husbands as to the Lord, you will be blessed. And you'll bless everyone around you. Because that's God's design. Is it easy? No, it's not. Does it glorify God? Yes, it does. Can the spirit, when you are spirit-filled, give you the ability to do what would be otherwise impossible? Yes, he can. That's what we, we need to do within the marriage in order for us to see the keys to a long marriage, to be able to be like Dick at one point, and him and Marianne being married 60 plus years.
I'm sure he could tell you stories of his failures as well as his victories. But it takes work. It takes surrender, like we sung this morning. We need to be willing to surrender ourselves, all of us, to God first. And wives answer the command of God within the marriage because it is something special within the marriage to submit to your husbands. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We know sometimes the things that we look in your word are difficult to wrap our minds around. Sometimes they're difficult to contemplate. Sometimes they're difficult to put into practice. But we, as believers in Jesus Christ, are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We are indwelt with God. We are indwelt with the one who can give us exactly what we need when we need it in order to succeed at obeying your word, to not be just hearers only, but doers of the word. So, Father, I pray for each wife here this morning. I pray for your grace in their lives. Being a wife is not an easy task. Being married today in our world is not an easy endeavor. But Father, may you bless each wife here as they obey you, realizing that ultimately they are trusting you with all of this so that you may be glorified, so that they may be blessed and everyone around them. In Jesus' name, amen.